Everyone said praise the Lord. So excellent to be with you today. I feel a wonderful presence of God in this house. And God is so um, good and so wise and, and such, a, um, such a wonderful God. He doesn't have to go places he doesn't want to go. You know, he only goes where he wants to go. He's, he's the boss. He made it all. He holds it all together. And uh, if he's here, he's here for a reason. And I've, I, as soon as I walked in, I felt the presence of God. And I said, well, somebody's doing something that's attracting God today. And uh, we're glad for that. We're excited about being in this house. We appreciate the hoods and the good work they're, go they're doing. Last time we saw them in a service, they were young evangelists. And they were in, uh, in Birmingham with us. And um, they are uh, highly regarded there. And our folks love them. And we're so glad for what God is doing here. And uh, appreciate the wonderful uh, goodness and grace of God. I appreciate your hospitality. Um, the lovely visit yesterday. The nice basket and all the wonderful things you guys are doing for us. We appreciate that. And um, just glad to meet the kingdom of God. You know, it's going to take a long time when we get on the other side to meet everybody. Because this... John said I couldn't number them. They were all around the throne. There are all kinds of people, people from every nation and creed and tongue. And so, you know, you, you got to have all kinds of people in the church simply because that's what heaven looks like. And uh, But it's going to take a long time to meet everybody. And there are congregations just like this, having church just like this, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, because that's what the prophet Malachi said would happen before the Lord returned. And uh, we're a part of that today, but it is uh, so excellent to be with you guys, and uh, we're excited about what you're doing here. I, uh, uh, the wife and I, are reminiscing a little bit as we come in. You're in a you're in a retail space, and that's where we started 30 almost 38 years ago in the city of Birmingham, and we started in a little storefront that wasn't nearly as nice as this. And uh, they have multiple bathrooms here, honey, and they have. They have a carpet. They have all kinds of nice stuff here that we never had. And uh, so uh, we really appreciate that. I, I, I was checking out your, your horse trough baptistry there and ad admiring it because that's what our first baptistry looked like. In our, <laughs> in, our, in our second building, the baptistry in this old frame building, somebody, some clever person some years before we ever got there, built an underground steel vault and the floor of the platform would rise up and uh, we had to raise it up. It was like going down into some gothic torture chamber or something. Come with us and be baptized, wouldn't you? You know, and uh, you had to really want to serve God to come and be baptized there. But we baptized lots and lots of people in that thing. Because when you're hungry and when it's right and when you've seen it in the Word of God, it's just good and nobody can keep you from it. So, uh, so we're thrilled at what God is doing here and, and it feels the house is full of expectation. And I know what the seed of a congregation like this can become and what it can do and what you can be and what you can have and all of that and what this city and this area can experience because of that because the miracle of God is in the seed and the seed is in you and this place is full of that miracle today 
So we're, we're really excited about being a part and just adding our little part to maybe come by and drop a handful of good, rich dirt on whatever God's doing here and do our part here. But uh, we're going to read this morning from, um, from Genesis chapter 24, and uh, we'll, we'll read a portion of it, and then we'll, uh, I didn't get with the media team on any of this, and uh, so... So we're just going to start in the middle, and we'll, we'll make our way through there, brother. So I usually send it in an email packet or something, but too late for that now. Just, just leave you scrambling. So. Genesis 24 and 1. And Abraham was old. And well stricken in age. And the Lord had blessed Abram in all things. And Abram said unto his eldest servant, and we assume that this is Eliezer from that conversation with God back in chapter 15. His eldest servant of his house that ruled over all he had, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but thou shalt go into my country and my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And down in verse 10, And the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed, for all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. And behold, I stand here by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. Let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. Praise God. As you're seated this, this afternoon, let's give God praise and thanks for his word that is forever settled in the heavens. We praise you, mighty God, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of it. We thank you for the miracle of it, oh God. Let it have its power, have its way in every heart and in every life, in every home. Let it radiate out of this place and touch the city and touch this place where we are today. And we all ask it in the name above every name, in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. amen. And so the, uh, the conversation that we're going to have today is about nurturing the kingdom of God. When the kingdom comes to your life, to your family, to your house, when the spirit comes, when the church comes, when the word comes to you, then there is a need for you to be a nurturer of all of those precious things. So Eliezer says to 
to the Lord. He said, now, I don't know how this is going to happen, but I'm here, and uh, you're my master's God, and I'm just going to ask a young lady if she could give me to drink. And if she answers and gives me to drink, and then she says, I also am going to draw water for all of your camels. Let her be the one. And, and so before, it came to pass, before he had done speaking, that behold, Rebekah came out, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin, neither had any man known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. She went down and she came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, let me pray thee, I uh, drink a, a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him to drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. And she hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran to the well to draw water and drew for his camels. Now, this is a subject of lots of conversation in commentaries and in Jewish history and in Christian writing. This is a huge area of conversation in both Christian and Jewish literature. And in Jewish literature, it's called the camel's test, or it's called the servant's test, or it's called Eliezer's test. And, uh, and these camels, these camels that he's brought with him, they're a part of the test. And these camels that have brought him from the land of Abraham back to the region where Abraham had originated, and, uh, and now they finish the long journey. These camels, are, they are unlike anything you have here in Nevada or we have in Alabama. These animals are made for desert travel. And they're perfect for wilderness travel. Their eyes and their hooves and the way that they are constructed, everything is made for traveling in the desert. Those things on their own can travel 50 to 100 miles a day. Loaded, and they can carry 300 pounds for a long period of time. Loaded fully, they can make 25 or 30 miles a day. Long strides, long legs. And uh, so this trip from Mesopotamia down to, um, down to present-day Israel, uh, or, or from the land now of Abraham to his places of beginning, it's like a two-week or a month-long journey. And this journey would have been between four and six hundred miles. And so it's been it's quite an expedition and it's quite a taxing journey. And so he he gives a test. He prays a prayer and he says, Lord, we come a long way and we're loaded down and we brought gifts for the family and we've brought riches for uh, for uh, this young woman and her household, whoever she is. And uh, and so that was the test. He, he opened it up before God. And as soon as he had finished speaking, she was there and she answered and she passed the test. And it was so such a God thing because God had orchestrated it and God had moved upon it. The job that she took on, the test that she embraced 
He brought 10 camels with him. A, a camel can drink 20 gallons of water at a sitting. And so that's 10 camels. I don't know how your math skills are, but that's 200 gallons. And she went down to the well and back up from the well. So this is not an easy job. This job requires some work. It requires some, some effort. And if, if that 200 gallons is being transported in a five-gallon bucket, that's going to require 40 trips down and up and down and up. And, and if it's a three-gallon pitcher, then it's going to require almost 70 trips down and up and down and up. She went down and she came back up. Water weighs a little over eight gallons. Uh, eight, uh, a gallon of water weighs a little over eight pounds. And so if you're looking at a five-gallon bucket, it's around 40 pounds. If you're looking at a three-gallon bucket, it's around 25 pounds. But that's 40 trips with, uh, with, uh, <laughs> with 40 pounds, and, or it's 69 trips with 25 pounds. That's a big job. I don't care how strong you are or how good shape you are in, down and up and down and up and carrying it. And somewhere in the middle of that, the back of her head is starting to speak, and it's saying, these aren't your camels. This is not your servant. I know you were just being hospitable, and that's a wonderful thing to be, and you were being nice and kind, and those are wonderful things to do. But it's surely hot out here, and we're, we're hauling water, and we're not halfway done yet. These camels are slurping up everything we're putting out before them. In the literature, this relationship between Isaac and Rebekah, this is a type of Christ and his church. This is... This is God and his, and his church. The word of God is always mediated. There's always a man that's going to be working with you concerning the word of God, the calling of God, the impartation of the things of God, the receiving of the Holy Ghost. All of these things are going to happen uh, through the mediation of someone. Someone's always going to be involved. And in this case, the servant, Eleazar, He's the mediator, and he's kind of like the Holy Ghost that comes to where you are and comes with gifts and comes with treasures and, and comes and kind of knocks on your heart's door and asks a question and gives you an opportunity or opens a door for you. And the, what Eliezer is doing here, he's looking for a wife for the son of the patriarch Abraham. But what the Holy Ghost is doing here today, the Holy Ghost is looking for a wife for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who is Jesus Christ. You see the, you see the typology there. Praise God. So this servant's prayer, this camel test, what brought the mediator to her, those camels, they're going to carry her back to Isaac. So what then the proposition is, what brings the kingdom of God to you? That's what's going to carry you all the way to meet the bridegroom. And she recognizes the value. And she's willing to do the work. She's willing to expend the energy. And she is the one. 
Many are called. Few are chosen. But in this case, it's very clear. There was a job to be done. There was an action to be taken. There was something that was bigger than her. And she's going to be the bride. She's not like the foolish virgin in the parable of the lamps that didn't trim their lamps, that didn't fill their lamps. And when the bridegroom came, she was not ready and stood outside the door knocking. And he said, I don't know who you are because God doesn't recognize lazy, empty people, people who are not willing to take it and you say, well, he's God. That's not fair for him to make that determination. I want you to know how invested he is. He came down from heaven. He robed himself in flesh. He carried the wood of a cross up the mountain of God. He let men pulverize his face. He let a man drive spikes into his hands. He bore the sin of the whole world. Don't even begin a conversation with me about what God is asking from you. And you're a little bit irritated by that. You know, we're a long way from the 1960s. But it was only in the 1960s that a Democrat by the name of John Fitzgerald Kennedy asked a nation, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. John Kennedy would be a conservative Republican today. He could not get into the Democratic Party today, not with a mentality like that. But I'll tell you, there's something greater than these United States of America. It's the great kingdom of God. And you don't need to be asking, what can the kingdom do for me? But rather, you need to be asking, what can I do? What can I be in the kingdom of God? Because that was the test. That was what caused her to be chosen. She had a mindset to say, I'll bear the weight. I'll carry the load. Praise God. Not like the hidden talent guy in the parable of the talents. Because God gave five to one, he gave two to another. They both produced at a rate of 100%. But to one, he gave one talent. And the guy was so afraid, well, I don't know, what if I lost it? What if I took a risk? What if? And he went and dug a hole and buried it. And when the Lord came back, the Lord said, you are, you are lazy and uh, you are slothful. You are wicked, not producing, not caring, not being a part in the, in the, in the estimation of God is both wicked and lazy. Somebody say, praise the Lord. So the, these, ta these uh, parables teach us a lot about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a cultivated field. Well, a friend, if you've ever seen a cultivated field, that didn't happen all by itself. 
the two guys leaning over the fence and they're looking at this field that's full of wonderful production and everything. And the city guy's telling the farmer, he said, oh, look what the Lord has done. And the farmer said, well, you should have seen it when the Lord had it all by himself. Because that doesn't happen. A cultivated field doesn't happen without sweat and labor. A vineyard doesn't happen without sweat and labor. But the kingdom is like a cultivated field. And the kingdom is like a vineyard. And the kingdom is like a net cast into the sea. But it takes strength and persistence and energy to draw a net out of the sea. Especially if it's full of fish. So the, the kingdom of God is a kingdom that comes by effort. The kingdom suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. And so there's always energy and passion and work involved. And Martin Luther was wrong about a lot of things, but he was really wrong about the fact that you can do business in the kingdom of God without works. He hated the book of James because the book of James says, faith without works is dead. Somebody say praise the Lord. So when given the choice, then Rebecca is willing. She's willing to leave everything behind. Eleazar goes with her to, to her dad's house, and her dad says, are you willing to do this? Do you want to do this? And she made a decision, and she was standing in a home that had been her home all her life. And she was standing with her family and all the things that were known to her. She was in the house of the familiar. And, and it's not easy to walk away from everything into the unknown. Because when you start your journey with God, it's into the unknown. You don't know what it'll be like. I'll tell you, I've been doing it now for 50 years. My wife and I started this journey when we were 20. But I'll tell you, for both of us, I can speak for her. We wouldn't take anything for this journey now. We wouldn't trade one thing. We wouldn't change one thing. God, God has taken us into some very interesting places, but we wouldn't trade it. You know what's going to happen this, this next Thursday night when we get home? Like every Thursday night, my children are going to be seated around my table because we have family night every Thursday night. My 10 grandchildren are going to be around my table because they're there every Thursday night. You know where they were this morning? I was watching in on my phone. They're two hours earlier than us. I was watching church in Birmingham, and I was watching my grandbabies in the praise group, and I was watching my daughter lead the praise group, and I was watching another daughter play the piano in the church. And you say, well, what's that about? That's about God will give you the desires of your heart. God will give you the most precious things in the world. Anyway, it's been a great trip. And, uh, and we appreciate what God is doing. So, but when you're on the front end and God asks you for everything, which is that, that's what he asks you for. When he asks you for everything, don't hesitate. Don't think twice. Now, I understand, he says, he says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross and follow after me. You have to hate your mother and your father and your brother and your sister and, yay, your own life. Well, that gives a lot of people pause. But all he's saying is you have to be willing to choose God over everything and everybody else. And later in that same 14th chapter of Luke, he says, you don't want to sit down. You don't want to begin to build a tower without first sitting down and counting the cost. 
And you don't want to go to war without first sitting down and counting the cost. And so I'm telling you, don't think twice. Jesus said, you better think about this before you do it because it's going to ask you to leave, be willing to leave everything. So this is, this is the classic view of Rebecca and, uh, and Isaac. This is Jesus. This is his church. The typology is absolutely clear. It's a wonderful invitation. It's a kingdom emissary in this servant of Abraham. And he's coming with all, he's laden down with gifts. When God comes knocking on your door, he doesn't come empty-handed. When God comes knocking on your door, he has everything for you that your heart could ever dream of. You can't see it yet, but it's all right. Is there a witness in the house? This is a father seeking a bride for his son. This is after saying yes, a long wilderness journey. Because a lot of people, you know, we tell people how exciting and wonderful and great and beautiful this is. And it is all of those things. But in, in, uh, uh, in, in total transparency, when you say yes to God, your first trip, leg of the trip is probably going to be a wilderness. Because you've got to learn to live for God. You've got to give up some stuff that have been hanging around your neck. <laughs> you've got to say yes to God. And it's going to look more like a wilderness when you're first starting than a wedding. <laughs> you know? Um, so, but in the middle of that, God's going to give you everything you needed. Just like Israel coming out of Egypt. They've got miraculous provision. Everything they need is right there. Praise God. So God's looking for a bride. He's looking for a, a bride that, that understands the call, understands the value, is willing to forsake the known, and is willing to take the journey. And so in this, in this narrative, watering the camels becomes the litmus test. Watering the camels becomes the break point that determines she is the one. Who will be chosen? The one that says, I'll give you water, and I'll give water to all of your camels until they're finished drinking. And uh, uh, the question would be, who, who is going to survive the journey? Because if you don't water the camels, you won't make it back. Because what brought the servant and the invitation to you is what's going to carry you back to Isaac. And so watering the camels is not only a test, it is the essence of having what is necessary to make it all the way back to where Jesus is waiting for you. Praise God. Now, we've got a diverse crowd of people here today. I don't know how you came to the kingdom of God. And it's a wonderful story, and we could talk for a long time, and everybody's got a testimony, and you need a testimony. And, uh, and uh, the idea of having a testimony, uh, you overcome by the power of your testimony. And so that's an important thing. I don't know what brought you to the kingdom of God or what came knocking on your door. But I will tell you this. What it was that came to you is what will carry you all the way back, all the way through on the journey. You may not recognize it when you're first starting your journey. But those things that came to you from the word, from the church, from the spirit, from the kingdom, those are the things that are going to carry you all the way back to your Isaac. And so I would say, water the camels. Somebody say, praise the Lord. What brought the church to you? 
what sustained the church thus far. Uh, that's what's going to carry you all the way to heaven. There's a lot of folks that want to change things all the time, but I want you to know there are some core principles, some essentials at the, at the heart of what is the church of the living God, and those things are non-negotiable. Those things cannot change. Those things always have to remain the same. Those are the things that brought the kingdom to you, and those are the things that are going to get you all the way to where you're going to meet the bridegroom. Somebody say, water the camels. Praise God. They're going to carry you all the way to heaven. I don't know how the kingdom came to you. And I, I don't know the circuitous route it took to get to your house or your family or your place of business. And, and Paul is an example of the word of God. And Paul brought the word of God to most of the New Testament church in the first century. He was the one that blazed the trail outside of Jerusalem and into the Gentile world. And this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, in labors more abundant, he said, I worked, I worked this kingdom business to get it to you. In stripes above measure, he said, I've been beaten so many times, I can't count the times that I've been under the whip for the kingdom of God. In prisons more frequent, he said, I've been in jail more than, you know, where Paul says, I thank my God I speak in tongues more than you all. Paul also said, I've been in jail more than you all. And it wasn't for criminal activity. It was because of the word of God. In deaths often. And we don't know how many times Paul died and God raised him up again. We know he got stoned outside of Lystra and God raised him up from the dead. But here, this is plural. And so he got killed someplace, some obscure place. And God said, I'm not through yet, Paul. Get up. We're going on to the next one. I'm just telling you, you don't know what the word of God went through to get to you. You don't know what the kingdom went through to get to your house. You don't know what went on from the century before to the day the kingdom kingdom knocked on your door he said he said five times of the jews i got 40 stripes and three times i was beaten with rods once i was stoned three times i was in shipwreck i was in the deep for a night and a day that's the word of god saying this is what it took to get to you this is what it took to get the word of god to you in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen. I'm so glad he's given this list, but I'm glad for the song that the praise group was singing. The word that God has given, no devil in hell can stop it. What God has given, what God has spoken, nobody's able to stop that. I'm so glad because it came to your house. I'm so glad because it came to my house. I'm glad because it came to your life. I'm glad because it came to my life. If you're glad that the word of God came to you, go ahead and shout a little bit about it right now. Amen. Amen.
word of God came by Paul, shipwrecked and washed ashore. He was on his way to Rome, but God said, there's an island over here. I need them to hear the word of God. And it took a shipwreck, and they all washed up on the shore in the middle of the night. So you, you may not know the history of the word of God that came to you. It came to your town after being driven out of another town. It came to your town with persecution nipping at its heels. It came to your town. It appeared out of nowhere in the middle of your desert wandering and showed up like, like Philip showed up to the Ethiopian eunuch. It showed up to your house a letter written from a jail cell. Don't know how the word of God came to you. I, I taught a young man a, a Bible study. His mom and dad came into the church, but he was a teenager. He and his sister were both teenagers, and they weren't interested in it at all. And they would sit in the middle of all that worship, and, and uh, they would sit there like, I'm don't, I don't care. I'm not interested. This is not touching me. I'm not, I'm not vulnerable to this. But later on, he would say, every time somebody ran the aisles and that little gust of wind touched me, he said, I felt something that I couldn't explain. But I taught him a Bible study through that little 8 or 10 inch chicken wire window in a prison cell. Taught him for a year there. I won't tell you how he got there and I won't tell you what all went on after that Bible study. But I will tell you this morning he was sitting in the house of God with a beautiful wife. Two beautiful baby boys. And I'll, and I'll tell you that. Last Sunday night, a young lady prayed through in the middle of our prayer session, and they, he and another young man found her in a park and witnessed to her and brought her to church, and she got the Holy Ghost during prayer, and then she went down in the water in Jesus' name. You don't know what the Word of God was doing when it came to you or what the Word of God suffered before it came to you. Somebody say praise God. <clears throat> but when the kingdom of God comes, nurture the kingdom. When the word of God comes, nurture the word of God. When God's caravan gets to where you are, water the camels. When it comes to your house, this spiritual kingdom, this wonderful moving of the spirit of God, nurture it. Water it. Jesus told the woman at the well, but whoso drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And it's true, and it's refreshing, and it's wonderful, and it's life-giving. But there's a problem with wells. And the wells have a problem in that during time and through time, they get cluttered up, and they get debris, and they get a little of this and a little of that. We read the story of Abraham. Abraham built an altar everywhere he went, and he dug a well everywhere he went. That should be, that should be instructive to all of us. But by the time Isaac comes, all of the wells that Abraham had digged, they were stopped up, some by natural forces, some by enemies that cluttered them up. And you have an enemy that does not want the flow of the living water in your life. 
But the Bible said that Isaac went back and he redug all the wells. He cleared those wells out until he found that flowing water. I just want you to know it comes to your life like that, but it's going to require some maintenance. It's going to require some work. You're going to have some, you're going to have to nurture that well that God has sent to you. That moving of the Spirit, that's what we're doing when we're standing and clapping. That's what we're doing when we're kneeling and praying. That's what we're doing when we're shouting and we're worshiping. What are you doing in that little church? I'm keeping my well open. I'm keeping the water flowing. I, I need a drink of heaven in my soul. Somebody say praise the Lord. I've got to nurture the moving of the spirit. I can't listen to me. If you want to be saved and you want to live for God and you want to be effective in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God that came to you is alive. You can't sit in his presence like a dead person. The kingdom of God is energetic. You can't sit like a corpse in the presence of God. You've got to, that's what all this is about. The Bible said, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. The word of God said you ought to praise him in the dance. The word of God said you ought to shout to God with a voice of triumph. Now, I was raised in a real quiet Southern Baptist church. and My wife was raised in a Presbyterian church. And nobody acted like that and nobody clapped her aloud and nobody said, amen, because the ushers would have carried you out. That's the most energy they would have expended to stop that worship. Get rid of that. But they don't understand. Bless their hearts. They just don't understand. And they haven't read David's tutorial on worship. But when the kingdom comes, it's a kingdom of worship. And there's a connection between worship and the moving of the Spirit of God. And if you're not a worshiper, you will not experience a moving of the Spirit of God. So that's a camel you've got to water. That's a camel you have to sustain. Praise God. When you got trouble, you ought to worship God. When you're sick in your body, you ought to worship God. When you're broke, you ought to worship God. Circumstances should never determine your worship, but your worship can change your circumstance. Oh, you, you folks are so loud and you're so active and you're so busy in church. What are you doing? We're watering the camels. We're watering the camels. It takes a little work. We got to go down. We got to get it. We got to bring it up. We got to pour it out. Then we got to do it all over again. We're going to do it on Wednesday night. We're going to do it on Sunday. We're going to do it whenever we get a chance. Well, that, that looks like a lot of effort, a lot of work. I've been worshiping God at a very high level for 50 years now. And I'm 70. I'm running out of gas. And I can, man, I can dance all over this house right now and leap. And, but tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning, I'll be like old people. Yeah. So I'm, I'm backing off a little bit. God's, God's got a sense of humor. And... When you get to a certain age and physiology, 
If you can just lift up your hand and wave it a little bit, that's high praise. That's high praise. But when you're young and you've got a healthy body, there's no excuse. You ought to be giving God everything you've got every time you come to the house of God. Touch your neighbor and tell him, water the camels. When the kingdom of God comes to you, it comes in spirit. It comes with worship. I don't know who witnessed to you. I don't know how you heard, but it was driven by the spirit. It was driven. It was made possible through worship. Isaiah 12, therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. You not only have to keep your worship intact, you've got to keep your joy intact. Because it's with joy. I don't know what Rebecca was using, but your joy is the bucket that you're using to carry the waters. In that 118th Psalm, there's prophecy. The stone that was set at naught of the builders has become the head of the corner. There's appreciation. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. But then there's a commitment. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice. We will be glad in it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You don't know what kind of day it's going to be. This may be the worst day of your life. Your dog may die. You may get a pink slip when you walk into the job. Somebody may hit your car in the parking lot. The wigwag on your washing machine may break. You know, all sorts of mayhem and trouble can happen in a day. But you start the day saying, first, this is the day that God made. And then you say, no matter what, I will rejoice. I will rejoice. If you don't understand that, you need to read the last three verses of the last chapter of Habakkuk. Because Habakkuk just tells you, if everything goes wrong, the crops are dead, the animals are gone, everything that can go wrong goes wrong. I will praise the Lord my God. He has a revelation. You've got to take care of these things that came to you. You've got to celebrate the revelation. You've got to celebrate the word of God. You've got to keep it alive and exciting. You've got to declare it to another generation. We have a responsibility to water these camels. Praise God. The word of God, the kingdom comes by its word always. And the word of God comes to you. It's necessary to, to nurture it. To, to water it. The word of God is a camel that will carry you all the way back to the wedding day with the king of kings and the lord of lords. In, in Josiah's day, they lost the word of God. I don't know how you lose the word of God. But you do it by letting the temple fall into disrepair. They only found it when they had a new king and he was inclined by God to repair the temple. And they came back and said, look, we found this book. We found, and they, in a generation, 
you can lose the word of God. That's why it's so absolutely essential that if you love the things of God and God's been good to you and you want to be a part of that bride, that you nurture this word of God and you honor this word of God. You keep this word of God alive. You water the camel of the word of God. When it's preached, you preach with the preacher. When, when it's talked about, you learn the power of an amen. When you say amen, you're saying, my heart says it is so. You're saying, I'm a part of that. I agree with that. Say, well, why are you so excited about this? I'm excited because it's in the word of God. I'm excited because I love what God's doing. But I'm excited because I was raised up in a church that was deader than anything you've ever seen in your life. And they had totally forgotten the word of God. And it can happen. It can happen anywhere to anybody. But the litmus test is, will I water it will i water it because what brought it to me is going to take me all the way back to the kingdom praise god the kingdom of god that came to us my wife and i were kids from the 60s and we were uh we were doing what everybody in our age group in the 60s were doing we were we were functional we were going to school and working jobs you know but we were doing drugs every day and I was well, I come from a fine, long line of alcoholism. And uh, I was well on my way. By the time I was 15, I could not just drink. When I drank, I got stumbling blind drunk. I was the guy at the end of the bar with his head down in his puke. That's at 15. And I, I had a long career ahead of me. Just think what I could have been. But we got married at 20, and uh, I, had, I had hair. I had hair. <laughs> I had hair to the middle of my back, and I had a big old bushy beard. And, and uh, we were just, now, when we came in the church, the church thought we were hippies. And when they talked about the hippies, we would look around like, where are the hippies? Because we thought about Haight-Ashbury and uh, Berkeley and all of that for, for hippies. But that's what they thought we were. And we thought they were strange. The first time I came to church, there was a little gal on the row in front of me. And she turned around and got on her knees and just stared at us. She stared at us. She had never been around anybody that looked quite like us. They were kind of a cloistered little church thing. But they were, they were holiness. And we had never seen holiness before. And we were looking at them, too. I didn't get around on my knees and stare at them like that, but we were looking at them. And, uh, and they, were, they were so interesting. The night we got baptized, we got baptized uh, after a Bible study. It was midnight. And we went to that apostolic church in Baton Rouge at midnight. And when we got there, there were these little ladies with these buns on their heads. They were walking around, and they were praying. They were praying at midnight, and, 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 and I didn't realize it then. I didn't know that God touching us and God drawing us and God speaking to us was associated with what those little women were doing walking around that church. <laughs> but 
oh, we came in because of prophecy. We got a hold of some prophecy tapes by Josh McDowell. And uh, it was like, oh, no, the Bible is truth. Because we knew enough. The first time we listened to it, we were stoned. The next time we listened to it, we were straight. It was scarier when we were straight. It's like, oh, no, the Bible is true. But then we went to look for, for places that taught the Bible. I knew it wasn't in the Southern Baptist Church where I was raised. Because when I went there and asked questions, they closed the Bible and started telling me what they thought. I said, well, thank you very much, Brother Jimmy. And, I, and she knew it wasn't at that Presbyterian church where she was. They had long since left the word of God. You say, well, you shouldn't be calling names and you shouldn't be criticizing. Let me tell you something. This is heaven or hell. This is living for God. And these are people that have taken the things of God and set them on the side. I'll call their names. I'll teach them a Bible study. I'll pray for them. But I'm not going to shut my mouth. That's how, that's how evil works its way. When people that know better shut their mouths. Well, praise God. So we, we came to church by prophecy. And, and they kept trying to tell us about Acts 2.38. About the Holy Ghost and about baptism. and all. I said, yeah, 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 but what about the 70 years? And what about... What about Daniel and what about the apocalypse and what about, and so it took them a while to get through there and get us in the water and get us full of the Holy Ghost and all of that. But, you know, we were there just a couple of weeks. I said, honey, you know, they're right about everything they've told us though so far. And I said, they sure are weird. <laughs> but they're probably right about all of this cultural, social stuff too. It took us a while to learn about that. But you know it was a holiness church that brought the truth to me. It was a holiness church that was praying for me. It was a holiness church that prayed me through in the middle of the pews on a, on a summer night revival. And I just want you to know that holiness was part of of that caravan that came to my life and came to my house. Holiness was one of those camels that came and brought the kingdom to me. And I've got a debt to pay. I've got to water that camel. So I raised, we raised our three little girls up to live a holiness lifestyle. And I'm not ashamed of it. And they were different than everybody at their school. But we're not ashamed of that. And there's a lot of places we don't fit in. But I'm glad there's a lot of places that we don't fit in. <laughs> and so, water the camel of the word. Water the camel of the worship. Water the camel of holiness. All of these things that brought the kingdom to you, they will carry you all the way home. Somebody say, praise God. Let's stop for a moment. Would you just clap your hands and lift your voice and magnify God? Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Glory to God. The kingdom of God came a long way to find us. And whatever carried it, whatever brought it to us, 
will carry us all the way back to the kingdom. Water the camels. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, eventide. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. This is Jesus, and his bride is coming, and the camels are carrying her. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and she saw Isaac, and she lighted off the camel. When we see him, when we get there, there's a lot of things that we're doing right now we won't have to do. We won't be doing. You say, well, that makes me a little nervous. What are you, what are you talking about? Well, there are some camels we'll be saying goodbye to because they're for the wilderness journey. They're not for life over on the other side. Paul said it this way, charity never fails, love never fails. But whether they be prophecies, they'll fail. On the other side, there won't be any need for prophecy. You'll know. Whether they be tongues, they shall cease. We talk in tongues every day now. Water, water that camel. Make sure you do. You need to talk in tongues. You need to sing in tongues. But whether they be tongues, they'll cease. Because over there, we're all going to speak one language, whatever that, whatever that language is. Whether they be knowledge, which is the gift of knowledge, it'll vanish away. Because we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. When I was a child, I spake as a child, and we we're all just children on the journey right now. I understood. I, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now we see through a glass darkly. But then when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the, cam, the camel. But then we'll see him face to face. Now I know in part, then, uh, and then I shall know even as I am known. Now abideth faith, hope, and charity. The, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. You won't need faith over there. You'll be standing in the expanse of your faith fulfilled. <laughs> hope. You won't need hope over there. You'll be standing in the middle of what you have hoped for. Praise God. So the kingdom of God has come to our lives, our homes, our families, and to our well side today with, a, with an invitation. And the camels have folded their long legs underneath them. And they're sitting there their eyes slowly blinking and their head rocking to music that only they can hear. And they're wondering, who's it going to be? Who's going to water these camels? Who's going to nurture me? Because I'm going to carry them all the way back to their Isaac. Somebody say, praise God. Praise God. In this generation, who's going to keep holiness alive and well? In this generation, who's going to keep worship alive and well? In this generation, who's going to venerate the word like the old timers venerated the word of God? Who's 
God is looking. The camels are looking. And they're saying, who is going to water the camels today? Now, I'm not taking up an offering here today. But I am going to tell you <laughs> that, that everything we do begins with an altar. The tabernacle begins with an altar. The gospel begins with the altar, which is the cross. And when I say I'm willing to give my all, then I am, and this, this happened in our lives when we were 20 years old and we just got our foot in the door of the church, but we had a revelation of giving. And we understood almost immediately, I want to be a part of this and I want to, I want to financially support everything that's happening here. When the preaching is coming, I want to look at it and say, I'm a part of that. And I'm not just a part of that in word. I'm a part of that in resource. I'm standing on my feet saying yes. I'm, I'm a part of the financial backbone of this church. That's exactly what I want to say. I want to water this. This is a great work. This is a great move of God here. It's in a nascent form. It's in a seedling form. But this work is going to be a great work. If I were part of this house and I were a part of this fellowship, I would be saying, I want to water this. I want this to be the best it could ever be. I want, I want them to say in 15 years, how did that happen in Carson City, Nevada? How did that happen? And you, uh, you might wonder why I would ask a question like that. Because I've had that question asked me. How did that happen in Birmingham, Alabama? They walk through our doors. They walk through our building. They feel the presence of God. They see what's happening there. And they say, how did this happen in Alabama? But I've got a secret. I know if you nurture and water and tend and care for the things of God, that the kingdom of God will flourish anywhere where it's loved and where it's supported. Ah, oh, somebody say praise the Lord. Somebody say praise the Lord. Praise God. Now, I don't know any of you, and I don't know how long you've been living for God, but I do know that right now would be a wonderful time for you to say, I've been doing this a year or five years or 10 years or 20, or I'm just starting. I just got the Holy Ghost last week. But this would be a great moment for you to stand in the house of God and say, God, I want to be a part of this as long as I've got breath in my body. And I want you to know you can count on me. I'm going to do the work of the kingdom of God. I'm going to walk these camels that you've sent. I'm going to nurture this kingdom that you've sent. I'm going to be a part of this revival that you've sent, oh God. I'm going to put everything I have into it. My mind, my body, my spirit, my resources, my business, everything I do, everything I am belongs to God. And I'm going to yield it up to God today. We ought to be praying a prayer kind of like that all over this house right now. Ah, by the name above every name, by the name of Jesus, if you'd like to begin your journey today, come on, sis. If you're here and you've never received the Holy Ghost, you can get the Holy Ghost today. 
God will fill you and it will change your life. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, you can receive that gift of God today and God will wash every sin away. He'll do that for you here today. Somebody say praise the Lord. Praise God. Amen. Let's lift up our hands all across this house. Amen. We receive the word from the Lord.